Hello, I'm Transport Talk Editor Nigel Moffat, and welcome to our first podcast. Along with our mix of online news, we hope this will be another way to keep you up to date with what's happening in the world of commercial transport, logistics, and heavy equipment. In this episode, I speak with Truck Stops General Manager Kevin Smith. Truck Stops is one of New Zealand's leading commercial parts and service providers, with 19 sites nationwide. Kevin talks to us about the impact of COVID-19 on the industry, the company's growing nationwide coverage and investment into areas such as dangerous goods compliance. He also talks about the company's commitment to staff training and what the future holds for vehicle service providers in this fast-changing world. So buckle up and enjoy this first episode and keep a lookout for more Transport Talk podcasts to come. Okay, so I'm joined with uh, Truck Stops General Manager, Kevin Smith. Uh, Welcome, Kevin. Thank you, Nigel, and good morning to you too. Good morning to you as well, yeah. So I was just going to talk to you today, Kevin, about uh, Truck Stops. Can you introduce me to Truck Stops and uh, tell me about how many branches you've got around the country and you've got a a spread across New Zealand? Yeah, we have. We've been in, in place for some significant time now. We've grown exponentially over the years to the point where there's now 19 truck stops branches up and down the country. And that that puts us in a strong position as probably New Zealand's largest wholly owned and operated network of, of uh, truck servicing workshops. From a customer's point of view, it doesn't matter where you are. If you have a problem, you dial the same 0800 number, you get connected to the nearest branch and you're in business. And uh, from our point of view, obviously there are challenges getting consistency up and down the country, but it does mean that it's seamless business for our customers, no matter where they are. And are you always looking to expand and um, expand your presence and perhaps open new branches? Is, is that something you look at? or Always is a very big word, Nigel. I, I like your use of that. <laughs> there, we're looking to do that strategically. The short answer is there's a bunch of towns and a bunch of locations where it really isn't sustainable to put a, a branch in place and so we wouldn't consider. But where there are obvious gaps in the network and where, from a strategic point of view, the transport industry needs us to be, then we're very happy to look at going further than we are currently. Cool. And so those 19 branches give you a good spread right across the country and you can service trucks all, all over New Zealand? Yeah, yeah I've right to, to Invercargill, really, and I think it is a very good spread. There are probably, as, as you've alluded to earlier, there's possibly a couple of towns that we could look at further, but at the moment it gives us what I would consider to be true national coverage. Okay, and everyone's uh, had to deal with uh, COVID-19 lately, so what impact has that had on um, truck stops? And especially during the lockdown period, you, you would have had to implement contact tracing and and all of that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I'm not sure how long you've got, Nigel, because COVID-19's impacts have been significant, but I mean, thankfully we didn't have any direct impact. So we're very proud of our achievement in making sure that nobody in truck stops actually caught the disease. So at touch wood at this point. But yes, when we went into level four lockdown, it was challenging for us because first of all, we formed part of the essential services network. So it was important that we were continuing to be available to the transport industry who were busily first responder type vehicles, a lot of the transport of essential goods and food services and all this sort of stuff up and down the country still needed to be looked after. So we had an obligation to the industry and we we take that pretty seriously to still be available. 
in spite of, of what was going on in the country. So whilst we locked down uh, to level four, we still kept all 19 branches available to customers for essential service vehicles only. I think at, at the height of it, we had about 50 or 60 people who were on a variety of, uh, of leave arrangements. We had another 50 or 60 who were working from home. And then we had the branch network, which was still operating. And the remaining staff, was, we split immediately into two shifts. So that, that reduced uh, each employee's exposure to the virus by half. We also obviously adopted a whole raft of um, the required proceedings, such as deep cleaning. We, we, our cleaning regime tra- changed dramatic, dramatically. Contact tracing became absolutely critical. And we moved to, to contactless business so that when you arrived with your truck, you left the keys in it, you left the truck there and you just walk away. You didn't come into contact with our people. And similarly, if you were picking up a parts order, it was outside the, the front door in a box and you just helped yourself. So we went to those measures pretty much immediately to ensure that we were able to keep going in spite of obviously the reduction in volumes that were required of us. As things loosened up, we were able to improve the situation, but we really did stay with the split shifts in particular and stay with uh, contactless business just as long as we could to ensure that our first objective was to keep the whole truck stops team healthy and that's been achieved. So like a lot of businesses, it was a, a huge learning curve for truck stops. So do yeah. you there was anything you learned out of the experience and anything you might continue with going forward? Well, continue with going forward. I, I think we learned how quickly we can pivot onto different means of doing business if we need to. It wasn't, we certainly learned a little bit more about each of our people. I mean, people came under different stresses and people's personal circumstances varied a lot. And so um, ha- having to have a very strong top of mind humanist approach to the stresses people were under was very, very important. And I think perhaps that's it's good to have that brought back to top of mind. In terms of the ways we do business that, that we would continue with, I'm not sure that there was that much. We did a lot of things. The split shifts were not popular. Nobody likes to start early and, and no, nobody really wants to finish late either. And the contactless business took a lot of the uh, social impact out of the game and our industry is a social impact between people who know each other very very well so i don't think we really want to do that ever again i mean we may have to of course if, if the worst case scenario ever unfolds and we know we can and we know we can be successful doing it but in terms of taking that forward i, I think we prefer to be in a closer relationship with our customer base than that allowed us to be yeah and do truck stops service all brands of trucks we the answer to that there's a, like most things, there's a short answer and a long answer. The short answer is yes. We clearly uh, favour the branches, the, the uh, franchises that we are licensed dealers for, and that's the Mac, Volvo and Hino trucks that we know so well. We have got customers with, who are owners of those, proud owners of those vehicles who still have some other vehicles in their fleet that they want us to look after as well. And so we're not about to push them out the door. We also do a lot of trailer work, which is all kinds of brands of trailers, of course. But I think you could find, if you looked, if you wanted to hide in the bushes at every truck stops branch, you'd probably see pretty much every truck brand going in and out of our gates somewhere in the country on any given weekend. Yeah. And with COVID-19, what um, impact do you think it had on your customers? Had you noticed any uh, trends or changes there? Well, certainly, you know, obviously we're secondhand knowledge on that one, but the, the people involved in the essential services were busier than ever. And the 
I guess, the panic buying to some degree, that a lot of the insecurities that were present in the general population transmitted to people putting high, heavier demands, particularly in the areas like food. And you've, you'd have read about the, um, the, the run on toilet paper, which mystified me. It wasn't one of the symptoms of the virus, but everybody needed to have a year's supply. I believe there are still people with garages full of toilet paper. So that put a lot of pressure on the transport industry to keep the replenishment process going for the supermarkets in particular. And some other people just had to park up. I mean, property development in the contracting industry around that was not seen as essential. So there were some people who took some pretty serious hits during Level 4 in particular because they just weren't allowed to do it. So, so all of that, I think it's, it's also had changes in the industry in regard to things like business-to-consumer delivery. Um, the supermarkets have found that a lot of people went to online purchasing and have now stayed with it. And even things like pet food and all these sorts of things that people used to jump in the car and go down to the store and buy it, they now just get online and order it and it shows up at the door in a few days' time. So that's changed the nature of the requirement on the transport industry around delivering smaller parcels more frequently to a vastly bigger number of destinations. So, yeah, there are some significant impacts on on the industry at this point. Have you seen anything uh, such as a maybe fewer newer trucks being purchased, so more investment into servicing older trucks? Oh, that's a multifaceted question, that one. Um, The first part of that is that the number of new trucks going on the road has definitely declined. I mean, I I was reading some numbers yesterday that said that in the month of October, new registrations were approximately 25% lower than October last year. So that's a significant decline. And, and I, whether it's going to continue or not is an open question. I think it's, I know that since we reopened the country, then the number of people ordering new trucks has bounced back. But the supply chain is constricting the speed with which they can get to, to New Zealand and get out on the road. And I know that there's a, the order bank, if you like, for, for most of the truck companies we deal with is very, very significant. And they continue to add a lot of trucks to that every, every day. From our point of view, in terms of whether that transmits into people doing more work on their truck, I think that's a long-term trend that you would expect, but it's probably too early to call that just yet. Certainly, what we're seeing is that a lot of industry, um, you know, as tourism consumption has dropped, as as a number of things have stopped, the number of kilometres being done by trucks on, on New Zealand roads is dropping. And that's the thing that usually brings up your routine service need, of course, very like your family car gets to a point needs a service if you don't go anywhere for three weeks it hasn't got any closer to that point so we're seeing a slowdown from that point of view and with the, the tourism sector I, I imagine you would uh, service you used to service buses too and now yeah. you would have seen that come to an end yes <laughs> yeah I mean, obviously the tour coaches are are a big part of the bus industry there's still all of the urban bus deliveries around most of the cities of New Zealand you know, and in fact, there was a transaction there yesterday where Canterbury's red buses were sold to uh, to somebody else. So, so yes, in a tourist location, if you were fixing buses in Queenstown, you probably got time to work on your golf game. If you're fixing buses in Central Auckland, you, you're probably still pretty busy. And I hear uh, truck stops is investing in um, dangerous goods compliance too. Um, can you tell me a bit about that? Yeah, I mean, it's a, an interesting topic because it, the risk associated with getting something wrong in that area is pretty significant. And over time, the legislation around uh, handling of risk in general, uh, let alone risk around dangerous, uh, the handling of dangerous goods, 
has continued to tighten and to require more of people who are involved in that field. So we've been observing that very carefully and, and we embarked on a program to, to get a number of our facilities and the number who largely deal with, uh, with DG vehicles certified to the new standard. And we've gone through a number of cities and spent significant money in places like Napier and Wellington. And you know, the, fundamentally the port cities where there are, are fuel deliveries out of is the biggest driver. But it's broader than that. So we've, I think, I don't have the number in front of you, but I think we've got five or six completed and a couple still under underway. So in the towns where we have an existing branch, we're very comfortable with, we are, are getting that level of, that bit of paper that makes you certified that, that you know your facility is safe in all regards. I don't think there are many who've got that in New Zealand. There, you know, it's, We've always been a, a sort of number eight wire type country and, and consequently people take some risks sometimes and get away with it until they don't. And I think if you ask a lot of people, I'll tell you, yeah, yeah, we're compliant. But if you ask for the piece of paper, you might get a bit of a shock. Okay. Are, are, there, are the rules changing a, a bit around that area? Are they? They, yeah. they have done progressively over time to the latest version, I think, came in early in the year. Uh, and we've been working on this project, obviously, for some time. Uh, hopefully it doesn't move again in the near future. Cool. And so you're looking to expand that, that part of your business um, into the dangerous goods area? Well, it's fair to say we've been in that area pretty materially for quite some time. We just need to needed to make sure that we were ready as the standard improved, that we continued to iron out any flaws in our system that made it made it easier for dangerous goods carrying customers to to deal with us. Okay. And training is a big part of truck stops as well. Um, you, you always, I see you carry out a lot of competitions and um, you, you have awards for your, your technicians. Can you tell me about your philosophy around training and what makes that so important? Well, I mean, our philosophy around training is what I'd have to describe as total commitment. We're absolutely aware that if you're not learning, you're going backwards. The reality is that the vehicles change, that the legislation changes, that the demands the transport industry put on the vehicles change. There's a constant movement going on there. And consequently, if you qualified as a diesel technician in 1954, you've probably needed to learn a bit since then. So we're very focused on making sure that our guys stay up to date with the latest vehicles in particular, the latest tooling, the latest technology that's engaged inside the truck. So we have our own national development centre, which is based up in Auckland, and we cycle our guys through there on specifically targeted courses that they need to A, develop them, but B, to keep them up to date with the industry. It's probably as a result of COVID, to go back to an earlier topic, become even more relevant as it's now much harder for us to bring in skilled technicians from overseas. We have to, if you like, grow our own. And so consequently, we are very focused on making sure that we deal with the changes in-house as much as we need to. It's around, first of all, existing qualified technicians getting better and continuing to stay current. And secondly, it's around our apprentice academy, whereby we take an intake of apprentices into truck stops every year. And we've been running that academy now for four or five years. And at this stage, we are now starting to drop some very skilled mechanics out the top end of that. And as you say, award winners, you know, prize-winning apprentices becoming diesel technicians, which is fantastic for us. So again, we, we're very focused on growing our own and growing to the, to the stage of being the best diesel mechanics in New Zealand. Do you find the competitions creates uh, motivates technicians to be the best? Is it having that 
competitive environment in there? Is that, is that uh, no, I just, you won't be shocked to hear that New Zealanders are competitive, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah it does. Too, right? It really puts the, the you know as soon as we and we run the two different set of systems. There's a global um, Volvo system which we we subscribe to, and we have the Hino system which is subtly different. But and it, whenever we do it, the intensity of the competition always surprises me. Everybody and I've said to our team, you know, nobody gets up in the morning and goes and shaves in front of the mirror and says, "Let's go to work and see how average we can be." Everybody wants to deliver a good job. Everybody wants to be really good at what they do. And when they see the value of the competitions to, to them to A, get better by having been part of the competition and B, ideally winning the competition and being able to have a, a result which demonstrates how good you are at what you do, the, the intensity starts to grow quite early. And we do get a very, very competitive, usually very narrow margin of victory at each time we do it. Yeah, which is great, which is really good for both us and for our customers. And I see one of your female t- technicians, uh, Heidi, she, she's won it a few times, beating the blokes too, eh? Yeah, Heidi's a, a bit of a machine from a, from a technician point of view. Heidi was one of our apprentices and, and wasn't long out of her competition when she entered the, the Hino Skills competition for New Zealand. She won it the first year she entered and the first year we ran it, in fact. And then the at the end of the day, the New Zealand champion competes against the Australian champion for the Trans-Tasman. And in that year, it was a draw. And I think we really should have got that result audited because we understand just how good Heidi is at what she does. And then uh, the funny story behind that, I think, is Heidi then mentored one of her colleagues in, in the Wellington branch that she's in, Nathan, who then subsequently went on to win the second year. And, and then beat the Australian in the Trans-Tasman. So um, Heidi's the engine behind a lot of that success, which is wonderful. She's a great great diesel mechanic and a lovely person. Is there a, a skills shortage in the, the technician sector? Are you always struggling to, to find workers there? Well, we certainly are now because of the barbed wire fence around New Zealand. Yeah. It's really hard to see how it will settle because obviously a lot of Kiwis are also not going overseas, so maybe entering the industry. So over time, I think we'll, we'll only really be able to judge whether recent events have had impact on that. But uh, at this stage, it's true too, with the decline in the industry, there aren't as many positions being advertised. So, so whether there's a drought or not, there certainly isn't an, a flood of positions to, that people need to fill. Okay. And as everything's becoming a lot more digital now, um, how is that affecting the service sector? That's a, we should really put aside more hours for this, uh, Nigel. The digital sector, what they call the fourth industrial revolution, is affecting the industry in a number of ways. First of all, the number of computers on a truck just continues to explode. My understanding is that at the beginning of this year, there were 50.1 billion devices connected to the internet worldwide. And that's in a, in a world that has 7 billion people only. So, so some of those devices are not in people's pockets. And we know how many computers there are on a, on a truck now. And the telematics associated with truck management are very, very significant systems and transmit significant points of data from every truck every day in that situation. So you've now got that situation where a truck traveling across the Harbour Bridge starts to flash a fault and that information can land immediately in the fleet manager's computer and in our one of our service departments and they can give them a call and say hey look you probably need to get that rear axle checked before you go south so just swing by and we'll have a quick look at it 
so, so the truck itself is, is definitely a digital mastery. The movement onto the internet, the degree to which that revolution is taking place, we're finding it in particular with our customer base who are asking for electronic transmission of invoices and purchase order numbers. We're finding it in people wanting to get access themselves to our parts availability so they can they can order online. That that sort of technology, that's where the industry is moving. So so I think customer portal into their suppliers, the linking of the two networks is is probably the next thing that we will see in any great volume. But it will continue to pick up speed and it will continue to be business done on the internet rather than the internet being an electronic billboard. And you see um, a lot more work being done sort of in the digital space uh, rather than mechanical space too, I suppose. Yeah, look, I think it is where most change will take place in the near future. Then obviously some of the alternate fuel sort of conversation and uh, some of the autonomous conversation, which is clearly a big, big set of changes for the transport industry. But yeah, that's that technology, the capability, the software as a service, the the uh, cloud computing, all that sort of stuff now is enabling a lot more. Let's face it, you can't fix a truck over the internet. <laughs> you might be able to reset the computer, but you know, if there's something broken in there, it's got to be in a workshop. So there, there are limits to the degree to which it will take over, but I think it will become much more of an enabler through linking the, the various players. And are some of your technicians getting up to speed too with electric vehicles and, and what that might bring? Yeah, we are very watchful of it. We've done some work with uh, Mito in relation to, to what is becoming available in the way of training in that area. The speed at which it's going to happen is the challenge and, and having all of those infrastructure, I mean, it's, they're having enough trouble keeping the electric infrastructure up to it, let alone the training infrastructure. So we are very much engaged in that. We're very watchful of what's going on. Conjecturing forward is very, very hard. Well, thanks for speaking with me today, Kevin, and there's a lot of interesting information there, and I look forward to chatting with you again soon. And thank you, and all the best for the rest of the year. Thank you very much, Nigel. You're very welcome, and uh, I look forward to catching up at some point. Thanks, Kevin. Cheers. You're listening to the Transport Talk podcast, where we chat about commercial vehicles, freight, logistics, and heavy equipment from New Zealand and beyond. For more information and all the latest news, visit our website, transporttalk.co.nz.